from a secret location in room 100 of 540 Jack Gibbs Boulevard, this is Craft. I'm your host, Doug Dangler. Jennifer Schleter is an associate professor and associate chair of the Department of Theater at The Ohio State University. She is a playwright, and her latest, Patience Worth, which premiered in March in St. Louis, will have a two-day run on May 19th through 20th at The Ohio State University. More information about that is available at crafttheshow.com. Welcome to Craft, Jennifer Schleter. Hi there, thanks so much for having me. Well, tell me about the background of your play, Patience Worth, and some of the real-life inspiration that cre- uh, was behind it. Sure. Well, um, Patience Worth is um, a play that is based on material from the historical record, which is the way that I love to work with my theater company, The Forward Company. We love to take ma- written material from archives, from letters, from books, and transform it into something physical and strange and new. Um, and so um, in the turn of the 20th century in St. Louis, um, a woman named Pearl Curran um, was a sort of housewife of the period, um, and she was fascinated with a Ouija board, as were lots of folks at that period of time. We're at the tail end of the of the spiritualist obsession in the, in the United States. Um, and she and her friend, Emily Grant Hutchings, began to believe that a spirit named Patience Worth was coming to them through the Ouija board, and that this spirit having a sort of 1600s Puritan of some sort who had always wanted to write books. It sounds ridiculous, and it is ridiculous. Um, but what's amazing to me is that um, the people around her really believed that this was true. It seems to be the case, at least in the beginning. And they transcribed everything that the board said. So there's this 30-some volume of bizarre transcriptions um, at the Missouri uh, History Museum's archives um, that we mined to build this piece. Um, and what we found in there pointed towards something much richer than just a lady in a Ouija board. It really seems to be um, more about a woman who was really desperate to be heard. And then, uh, to a certain extent, um, the limits to which the people around her might go to obtain fame through her. Mm-hmm. So that's what we end up telling. There were 30 volumes of transcriptions. Uh, how much of it was sort of the spiritualist version of Can You Hear Me? You know, how much of it, uh, what, what kind of content, I guess, is my question, uh, did you get out of the 30 volumes? Well, it is. it ranges all over the place. Some of it um, towards the end is from when the patient's worth phenomenon was already sort of notorious, a little bit famous. And so it's transcriptions of what would happen at public events where people would toss out a word like the moon or daffodils and patients were through Pearl would uh, spontaneously dictate a poem on that topic. So by the end of her, her time um, channeling the spirit, she was no longer using the board. She was simply speaking. Um, but in the beginnings of the record, there are all kinds of conversations that were being held in the home between the people at the board and a random assortment of family members and then uh, local friends or dignitaries talking about all kinds of topics, many of them big philosophical issues. And sometimes what seems to come from the board is just gobbledygook. But sometimes it's weirdly brilliant. So it's tough from a distance to understand what was going on. Um, The juiciest bit for me, I think, is that there was a newspaper editor at the time. Um, he edited the uh, uh, St. Louis Globe Democrat, which no longer exists, like many newspapers, right? Um, and his name was Casper Yost. His birth name, bless it, was Casper Yost. And mm-hmm. he 
um, was a huge skeptic and spent a lot of time in the house trying to figure out if this was real or not, not trying to disprove its reality. And in the end, ended up not only believing that it was 100% true, but falling in love, not with Pearl, but with the spirit, patient's mm-hmm. work. Um, Do you get so- to make any puns about him being Casper the friendly Yoast, or is that <laughs> simply beyond the pale? We do that all the time in the rehearsal room, okay. but we try to not say Casper Yost on stage as often okay. as we can afford yeah, it. Yeah, I can imagine that that would create problems. So <laughs> yeah. as you were reading through all of this stuff, um, and you said some of it's weirdly brilliant, some of it's just gobbledygook, what did you start telling people about it and how did that change as you read through it? Uh, I'm particularly interested in, you know, did you come out at one time and say, you know, this has maybe something I could really believe in. Whereas another time you said, no, this is all just a a terrible, terrible fraud or. (laughs) We, I mean, I, my personal opinion is that there are no spirits beyond the grave that come through Ouija boards. That seems to me to be totally impossible. But and so what we wrestled with a lot in the um, in the rehearsal room is wh- whether or not I'm totally wrong and Patience Worth is going to get me someday, right? Whatever. <laughs> um, what matters? What matters is that Pearl seemed to believe it. She believed it. And what's curious to me is how much the people around her truly believed it, and how much the people around her were going along for the ride to make a quick buck or to get to get what they wanted out of her. So the questions really began to center around how Pearl sees it. And I'm approaching this play as, um, in many ways, exploring the landscape of her mind um, and trying to figure out um, how, how it's possible for a person who said that she never read any books, who, that, who was dropped out of high school, who was trained in elocution and del Sartre, but really um, didn't, she believed, have a very big intellect of her own, how it is that some of this really rich poetry came out of her um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's that's what we what we put with our attention. And you've got an interesting dichotomy in that you're talking about all a lot of spiritual stuff, while the play itself is presented with a lot of new technology. As I understand it, you've got um, some software that is helping you in the presentation of the play. Tell me a little bit about how the software plays into what the play does. Sure. Well, I mean, I think one of the most exciting parts about this experience for me is that I got to collaborate really closely with Vita Bears and Blackburn um, from the Advanced uh, Center for Computing Arts and Design and John Luna, who just completed his MFA um, in dance, but who is um, a truly gifted um, media designer. So part of what um, we did as a kind of team is to figure out how to create this landscape of Pearl's mind, how how to help the audience see some of what she was seeing or what she thought she saw while, while this language was coming to her. So um, we spent a lot of time experimenting with uh, facial motion capture. So something like what we'll do in the movies when they're going to try and transform, transform Benedict Cumberbatch into a dragon or something like that. We did um, facial motion capture um, live on stage during the production in a sort of sneaky way so that what's happening for Pearl's um, experience of the world physically changes what we, what we see around us. Um, but there's also a bunch of um, animation that goes into the piece. And in order to um, have this projection occur on stage in ways that are richer than a kind of screen upstage and actors downstage, we wanted the projections to hop around on all kinds of surfaces, including on people's bodies. Um, John Luna, 
who is an expert um, gamer and also the production the projection designer, um, made really rich use of Unity, kind of sandbox software in which um, video games are often um, first designed and rendered. Um, and he built a system by which we could do this on stage um, in real time. Um, nobody else has done it uh, this way yet, uh, so we're really excited for um, his own investigations on that. And, and he's presented um, about that at um, the United States Institute for Theater Technology Conference. I hope very much that he goes on to publish, quite frankly, because it's really exciting. Mm-hmm. And so is this then helping you, like you said, represent some of the images that she might have seen in her mind, and that lets you sort of work on what those images are almost on a at the moment so each presentation of it will be different yeah that to a certain extent that's true there there will be pieces that are consistent um, as much as any live performance is ever truly consistent but certainly the pieces that are um, are um, triggered by her facial motion capture they shift in every performance because it depends what literally is happening for her in the moment The exciting thing about the Unity sort of sandbox approach is that we've had a relatively long development process with this piece. And so it allowed us to say, huh, I wonder what happens if that projection goes like inside the fireplace? And it's really quick and easy for John to shift things around and move them so that we can experiment um, with projection, which is often very difficult to do. It takes um, a long time to get things set up and precisely uh, pointed the way we want them using other softwares. But but Unity allowed us to try anything we wanted, frankly, at any moment before we figured out what the piece actually was going to be. Cool. Well, Jennifer Schleter, I thank you very much for talking to me today on Craft, and I'm looking forward to the two-day run of Patience Worth at The Ohio State University on May 19th through the 20th. Uh, break a leg. I nearly said the uh, the G word on the GL word <laughs> phrase there. So so break a leg on those two days. Thanks so much. It was great to talk to you. For more information from my guests, visit www.crafttheshow.com. This is Doug Dangler. Until next time, be creative. <laughs>